Good evening, both of you. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Do you guys like the combination of we are very we're having an artistic mixed martial arts Christmas right now going on in the sanctuary? You like it? Yeah, I I, I don't, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. No, it's uh, we had the men's conference last night. We're not done tearing down for it. If if you were here, it was a blast. We had um, mixed martial artists here, and nobody got beat up. That was kind of a bummer. I was hoping somebody would take a punch, but nobody did. Um, it was a good time, but that's what's going on there. And then I guess we're in a race trying to see if we can decorate earlier than Walmart this year. And so uh, <laughs> I think we got them beat. I don't know. I haven't been over there in the last week. So um, we win. Good job, Bethany. Oh, gosh, I hope that the... Social Rec Committee does not listen to the podcast. <laughs> Can we edit that out? I'm a jerk. Um, no, they, they're, they're all beautiful, amazing, lovely women who really love to decorate the church, and they do an amazing job, and I love them all dearly. Oh, I wasn't joking. I'm being serious. Why are people laughing at me? Uh, just a couple of, I don't know, I guess really just an announcement. Um, there's, a, there's a plate back there. And it's not because it looks cool and we that's a not, not a decorating Christmas thing. That's for your money to go in if you feel like tithing here. And we like that because we have to pay the bills. So that's there for you. We don't pass the plate during the service. And we also have the giving kiosk out in the hallway if you prefer to use debit card, which I do. So um, that's available to you. Um, also, this service, just something for you guys to think about. Because we kind of have the same crew at the evening service every time. And one of the ideas behind the evening service was, well, one, we needed to create room from, from the morning service because we're just too full. And it, that's the only reason we added another service was just to make more room so we can fit more people. Uh, the other reason behind it was this, was we thought that once we kind of got a stable crew that was coming to this service, that this could be the kind of service where people who normally aren't going to wake up on Sunday morning can come. Um, and, and I understand that doesn't work for everybody, um, especially non-believers, but we, we understand that totally. So we want to encourage you guys, though, to use this service as a tool. If you have feedback on what we can do better at this evening service, we'd love to hear from you about that. And also, don't forget that we're still doing, um, we have, it's called One Life um, Campaign. And what that is, is this, is we are challenging the believers in this church to really commit to one person in their life, just to love the crap out of them. Just follow, not be creeper, stalker, Christian person. We're talking about love them to death, follow them around. Just be ready to serve them in any way possible. And then once a month, it's the second weekend of every single month, you can bring them to church here and we can guarantee we are not gonna do a creepy service. It will not be on tithing. It won't be on like gifts of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Like, th- those are things that we won't do during that service, okay? It's just going to be flat out, here is Jesus, and here's what he's all about. So just keep that in mind. That's the second Sunday of every single month, and we want to encourage you guys to use that as a tool. Okay, enough of that stuff. Uh, we're in Acts. We're back in our Acts series. Uh, we, Tom said this morning, uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll be in here forever. Uh, and it's, it sounds weird that we're going into 2010 in Acts when we started in the beginning of 09, so we're coming up on a year, and we, we're just hitting chapter 8, so we're rolling really slowly, but that's an okay thing, that's an okay thing. Uh, so, if you want to, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Acts chapter 8, if you don't have one, there's be one in front of you. Most of the verses will be up there, I kind of jump around a little bit more than Tom, and don't give Ryan as much heads up to where I'm going, so... No guarantee that everything will be up on the screen for you. And we like you to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, feel free to take one. Uh, those are yours, and they are free. But don't be cheap. If you can afford to buy your own, do that too. <laughs> I'm full of it today, man. I am just, I just had that coffee. I got, I got the juices flowing. I was falling asleep. This is the last service. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Anybody else leaving? Is anybody out of here? Okay, I know you're leaving, babe. We're going together. <laughs> Anybody else? Everybody else staying here for Thanksgiving? Anybody going home? Moab? Tuesday. All right. I'm going, I'm going to Ohio. Yes. Some call it the promised land. Some call it hell. Um, you know, it depends on what, if you really like Ohio State or not. So, okay. Acts chapter 8. Let's dive into this. 
what we're dealing with today is what we, you know, we did kind of the mini series on, uh, on persecution, which is kind of funny because just being honest, when we're in the book of Acts, that's all it really is. As guys get in the trash beat out of them, every, like you turn the page and somebody else is dead. Or like somebody just got punched or, or like another guy got drugged outside the city and he's like bleeding and they think he's dead and they leave him there. It's like every single week. So it's not a depressing thing. I want to encourage you because, if, you know, you hear like, oh man, we're, we're, we're still doing suffering. Yeah, we are. But it's a whole entire book of the Bible and that's why we're doing it and that's why it's important. But don't think of it as... as Something that is just always a downer because what we're going to look at tonight is, and I'll give you the theme, I'll give you what I'm going after tonight. What I'm going after is this, is that one of God's, okay, God has a lot of gifts. I don't even know if that's like theologically accurate to say that that way, but something he's really good at, which I don't even know if that's right because he's good at everything, but he, so one of the things he seems to really love to do is this. He loves to take things that look ugly or messed up or even horrific, or unbelievably bad, and turn them into the most beautiful, glorious things we've ever seen. That's like, if, I, if somebody came to me and said, describe an attribute of God that just makes, that kind of gives you chills. That's what I would use. He, he, he does that regularly. And a, and a good example would just be in, in, in us, his people, right? I mean, Inside, this is the sanctification, right? This is the, the, the process of being transformed into his likeness more and more, right? Because if we're all honest, one thing we can all admit is that we have a base layer that we come from, and it is not pretty. In the book of Genesis, it, um, C.S. Lewis likes to say, we're the seed of Adam or the seed of of Eve. If you've watched the Chronicles of Narnia, or, or I prefer reading the book. They're good. Um, don't just read, watch the movie. You get, don't get nearly as much good stuff. But in there, they, they, they talk about them as sons and daughters of Adam, like son of Adam, daughter of, of Eve, right? And, and, and so from then, for, from the fall of mankind, we have that within us. We have this certain level of brokenness and and, 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 you know, I, I don't want to get into the theological arguments of whether you're born as, as like a depraved. That, that's just, that's, well, that's not fun stuff to talk about. We're, we're, here, we, we believe that. We think that you're just born into sin and that you need Jesus to save you. It's really upfront. That's what we believe here. And, 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 and we can, if you have more questions about that, I'd love to talk to you more about that. I, it's just a, that's a whole nother sermon going and all that stuff. But just the bottom line is this, is that we all start from somewhere, and, and before we knew Jesus, we, we were just kind of messed up. And here's the interesting thing, is that when you accept Jesus, when he becomes your Lord, when you accept him as king of your life, it doesn't mean all of a sudden that you're like fixed, like ta-da, like shiny new you comes out, and, 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 or like you, you don't get an, like an, an avatar version of you that now exists, and it's all better now, and you're like walking around, it's like, oh man, I look so much better now. It doesn't really work that way, but, but how it works itself out is this, is that um, how, how many of us have ever done this, and you can raise your hand, that's cool too, if you've ever done this, you, you, you meet with somebody, you talk to them about Jesus, you finally get up the nerve to do it. Or you're just in a conversation with somebody about Jesus, and all of a sudden you start like quoting scripture, or you like say something and you're like, "What the crap was that?" Like, I, don't, I sounded smart, and you're like, you want to call people, you're calling people, like, "Dude, I just told them like three. I don't. Even, I think it's in James. At least I said it was. I hope it is. You know, and you're like, and you start remembering things, or when you when when you get into a situation, all of a sudden, um, scripture falls on your heart, and you respond the way that you read that Jesus did. And it kind of scares you. I mean, am I the only one that that happens to? That you're like, whoa, that wasn't me. You're right, it wasn't. It wasn't you. Because that's, that's progressive sanctification. That's not like, you didn't just happen to remember something. That's you being transformed into the likeness of Jesus every single day more and more. And so what's so great about that is that's, that, that, that's our deal. And so all that to say is that Jesus likes to take us as messed up as we are, and he transforms us over time and turns us into these new creatures that are to represent him. And when we come together, we are the image of God, that man will bring about the image that 
Woman cannot, and woman will bring about the image that man cannot. When we bring it together, that's why marriage is so important. Do you, do you see that? Like, it, it, God has a big plan. He, he's like, oh, I got a good idea. Let's take two really messed up sinners, stick them together, and put them in the same house, and then we'll have the image of me. He likes to take things that shouldn't work and make them work in beautiful ways, and sometimes scary ways and messed up ways, and, and even ways at the time that don't even make sense at all. Not even in the least bit, and we're going to see that. So let's get into the text. Uh, Acts chapter 8, going Acts 8, 1 through 8. Okay, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Okay, we've got to stop there. That's like the worst beginning of a chapter ever. I, I mean, just so you know, the Bible wasn't written like, oh, chapter 8, here. Somebody put that eight in your Bible and gave it its cute little title. In mine it says, Saul ravages the church. I, I want to have that job. Because pretty much everybody almost has usually the same thing. And it's usually... But I wouldn't have started the chapter. Not saying I'm smarter than the guys who put this Bible together and decided where the chapters were going to be. But you don't start off a chapter with, and Saul approved of his execution. That's not a good place to start. But what's happening here is we have to understand what just happened, or this makes no sense at all, Right? What just happened was this, is we just studied the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was this guy, he was a deacon of the church. He was a worker of the church. He was appointed by the elders, which at this time were the apostles, the disciples, to help them out. And, and a time came when he needed to stand up and preach. He stands up and he preaches and he gives this killer sermon. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go read it on your own time. He gives it and it just ticks everybody off. That, that's a common trend when the men of the Bible preached is not everybody liked it. But he preaches this sermon, and he gives this sermon, and it says like that they grind their teeth at him. And it's talking about like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious rulers of the time. And, and, and so they, they literally took him and they stoned him to death. And, and, and the story is that he saw Jesus in that moment, that it, the pain was taken away. We talked about that and, and what that means to have a focus on Jesus in times of suffering and the ability that he has to pull the faithful through is pretty remarkable. And so that's what we have happening up to this point. So here we have this guy named Saul, and we're going to talk about him more at the end of the story. So don't worry, we're going to talk about him. He's a, he's a pretty important guy in the Bible. Uh, but here we have him speaking not speaking, but it's talking about him. It says, and Saul approved of his execution, so Saul approved it. And there arose on the day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So everybody else is like, I'm out. You know, like, we got to get out of here. People are getting killed. This is getting crazy. So they scatter, right? Where did I stop? Okay, verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made, great, and made great lamentation over him. So they were really, they, they, they mourned, is what we're talking about. Verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Okay, that's our text for this evening. I almost said morning. I got a really simple equation for you. If anybody, if, if you, any of you guys know me well, um, the word equation coming out of my mouth is usually a bad thing because it usually involves math, and I suck at math more than any other human being that's ever walked the planet. Okay, like I, if you if you're like, hey Matt, I need a 50 page paper, and I'm like, all right, I can do it. You're like, add. I'm like, no, I can't do that. Not very good at that kind of thing. But he, this is an equation that I have because it's a biblical equation, and, and so he, here's what I want to tell you: is this Saul, bad dude. Tom this morning described him as the Darth Vader of the Bible at this point. You know, like when he walks in the room and it's like the, and he walks in the black cape, all that stuff going on. And he comes in and people are like, oh crap, Saul's here, right? 
you guys look at me. Nobody ever watched Star Wars? All right, yeah, I, I know you're a Star Wars fan. I know Ryan is. Holy, that dude, him and, if you knew Josh, oh, those guys would sit around, like, trade Star Wars facts for hours while playing Settlers of Catan. <laughs> so cool. You're welcome. Just for you. But anyway, so Saul's a bad dude. Saul's a bad dude at this point. Messed up dude, he comes in, and you do not want to see Saul rolling in, especially if you love Jesus. Okay? Not a good thing. So Saul is persecution for the church. So when Saul shows up, Christians die or go to prison. That's what happens. But what happens with this? Saul and persecution equal Philip going to Samaria and the rest of the believers being scattered all over the land. So Saul plus persecution equals the gospel going forth. I know it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm not even good at math. Like It's one of those crazy math problems when you have like little numbers and big numbers. It doesn't make sense, but somehow you get the right answer. God does only what God can do. I mean, does that make sense? God does only what he can do. There are certain things that God can do that just sometimes... They just don't even make sense. Like his, his addition here shouldn't equal the church growth. Hey, we're going to go kill all of you. And God's like, all right, that means my church is going to grow. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Just think, let's put ourselves in that context for real. Anybody in here ever read the book Jesus Freaks or ever flipped through it or anything like that? It's a great book. It, it, it's, it's, in, it's intense. It's just persecutions. It's, it's people who have been martyred, killed for their faith, story after story. Just these incredible stories. Like I, I remember one that moved me greatly was a story of this um, 11-year-old girl in China who uh, for every day that she would refuse to recant of her faith, they'd put another brick around her until she was totally closed up and couldn't breathe and died. Okay. Let's just be honest. Like, brick three, I'm like, yep. <laughs> I don't want to suffocate, suffocate to death in a brick wall. Are you kidding me? But there's something interesting that happens here. God gives strength in these times that doesn't make sense, right? He gives empowerment that we don't think we would have. But let me tell you this. If you claim the name of Jesus, you have it. You have every capability that every martyr in the world has. You're just lucky enough and blessed enough that you're probably never going to have to suffer that. He used Saul in persecution to answer his own prophecy. God does. If you go to Acts um, chapter 1 verse 8. Let's go there real quick. You're like, man, we're supposed to be going forward in Acts, not backwards. Acts 1.8. This is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all in Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Let's go back to our text today. Verse 1, I'm going to skip down a little bit. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see what's happening here? Like, Jesus told them that this was going to happen. They didn't know necessarily that it was going to come in the fact that people throwing rocks at them was going to be kind of the catalyst to go do this. But Jesus knows what he's doing. When Jesus speaks, he's not just speaking like I do sometimes. Anybody ever just talk and you're like, what am I even talking about? I've, I've done that already in the sermon, okay? Like, right? Do you ever do that? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, when he speaks, he knows what he's talking about. And if he says something's going to happen, you can count on it happening. And here's the thing you need to remember. If you find a biblical truth that Jesus says will happen, or a promise that he has in it, 
and, and, and you see it happening, but it's not happening in the way that you want it to happen or you think it should happen, we need to remind ourselves that he is sovereign and that he will work things out for our good, even though it may be very difficult to understand that at the time. His promises are real. And his promises are good. What he tells us is legit. You can take it to the bank. He always follows up. That's one of the reasons... Okay, mini rant. I won't go long. So let me tell you guys something. Well, I, and, and it's cool because I love this room because it's a young room right here. It's a really young room. And I would love to see a younger generation that grows in the word understanding this. Um, let me just tell you something. If, you, if, if, if this is your home church or whatever, if you look at Tom and I to have all this figured out, we will let you down. You need to know that. I'm going to tick you off someday. I'm going to say something stupid to you. I'm going to make you mad, especially if you grow in a relationship in Christ with me and you get to know me better. I'm, I'm not always a very nice person. Okay? Tom isn't always the real, I mean, he is always a great guy, but he's not always the really fun-loving, like hilarious guy. You know, he has bad days. You need to know that your promise is in Jesus, not your pastor. Your promise is not in this church or whatever church you attend regularly. It is in Jesus. Because what happens to, to, the, to the people who put their dependence on people like me, when I let you down, you go, I hate the church. And Jesus says, I love the church. Do you see how that contradicts itself? So, so let when you read the word, when you fall in love with Jesus, or, you, or you're coming here to get something, come here to get Jesus. Don't come here to get an edgy sermon or good worship music or hear the better communicator, or whatever that might be for wherever you go. I do it all the time. Just as a warning, when Jesus speaks, it's for real. When I speak, I mess up. Okay? Sorry. Many little side. That's free. Because of this persecution, we have Philip going to Samaria. Let's go into um, verses 4 through 8. Let's reread those real quick. 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. I learned something interesting from our speaker here that when you have the word the in front of Christ, we had him here at the conference I was talking to him about and I did some Greek study on it and everything. It's really interesting. It's, it's talking, it's, this is like more of an announcement. It isn't like, hey, good teacher, this guy named Jesus. This is, the Christ was a title. So it's saying, God came. So he went preaching God, preaching Jesus, not just a good teacher. So we know that. Let's keep reading verse 6. And the crowds with large one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Do, do you guys know much about the Samaritan culture? Have you, have you guys ever heard pastors talk about that at all? It's something we talk about quite a bit in churches. You hear it. Um, the Good Samaritan is something everybody knows. And this time there would be no such thing as the Good Samaritan. Because Samaritans were looked at as really low people. They were the lowest of low. So what, what, what I want us to do right now, we're going to do a little exercise right here while, while, while I'm going through this. Is, is I want you to picture the people that repulse, that, that just make your gag reflex go. Being dead serious. Is there a group of people that you have no desire to ever be around? That make you sick? That you see what they do and you're just like, nope. Would not go there. And let's just be honest. Within churches, that's a lot more prevalent than in the world. It is kind of absurd that if you're a Christian, that this was weird when I started working in a church. I didn't grow up in the church. So I had to learn this kind of stuff of what to be afraid of. Like I didn't know 
that like if I saw somebody from my church in front of a bar that I was eating at, I might have had something to drink. It was probably a Coke. I, I don't know. But that I should wait until they walk away. Because if they saw me in there with those people, what would they say of me? What, what, would, what would the Christians think about me if they knew I was there? Let's just be honest. There's groups within the Christian circles. Um, I'll, I'll say it. Uh, homosexuality is our token sin, right? Whew. We don't go near them. When, I'll, I'll tell you a story. One, one of the most humbling experiences of my life was I, I, I was pretty much that guy at one point. Not, not deeply. I didn't like hate homosexuals. There wasn't anything like that. I just, they, they, I, I didn't get it. Just being honest about the whole situation, it, it freaked me out. I didn't understand. I mean, it was just weird. My, I didn't know really how to handle it. And I was putting on a, uh, a Christian music festival at the college when I ran Campus Crusade. And, and, and their club, Spectrum, came to me and asked if they could help. I didn't know what to say. I was like, with what? Like, I, you know, I, I, I looked like a complete idiot. I was totally uncomfortable. But at that time, that, th- those would have been my Samaritans. And I actually developed a relationship with some. Uh, understand, I'm, I, I, I do believe that homosexuality is a sin. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'll be clear in that. These people need Jesus. They need the redeeming love of the God who came and died for them. They need that. Okay? And so those were my Samaritans, just examples. So that's who the Samaritans were. Here's my question. And in, in, in my prayer for us as a church and just as a people, and, in, and I'm talking capital C church here. I'm not talking Bethany. I'm talking capital C. I'm talking big church. I pray for two things for our people for people in the church today. One, I hope our people will, 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 will fall so, so deeply in love with Jesus to the point where they are so compelled to go reach whoever their Samaritans are that persecution does not have to fall them for them to go. I pray that our people will have a heart like Jesus so much that even if people repulse them or set them off like, like the Samaritans would have to Philip that it won't take persecution to make you go to them. My second prayer, if our people won't go to them, I pray that persecution will fall on them. I pray that if we won't leave here and actually go engage culture for the kingdom of God, I pray that we get forced into it outside of our will. I pray that God would come in here and send rays. I pray that he would put a government on us that was so oppressive to the point where we couldn't meet here anymore and, we, and he would come in and break up our gatherings so that we would have to actually spread out like what happened to the original church and maybe we would reach some new people. I, I don't want it to come to that. Understand me, I, I, I like my life. I like the fact that I get paid to do this I'm not going to lie about that. This is the best job in the world. I get to wear a Garth Brooks mic. Don't call it the Britney Spears mic. I can handle Garth. But do you see what, what, what's happened here? Because right, right now, up to this point, we primarily have Jews being saved. Jesus wants all cultures everybody. And I'm not saying that ignorantly. I understand. And and the Bible does teach that some will reject it. I I get that. I'm not dumb. But that does not mean that we don't have to try. That we can just be like, okay, it's up to God. If we don't move into cultures that need Jesus... Don't be surprised if persecution falls on you that forces you there. It's right here. You can see it tons of times. um, Anybody familiar with Jonah? Oh, man, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Hilarious story. In in case anyone's ever told you, the Bible's allowed to be funny, 
okay? This dude is hilarious. God comes to him and speaks to him and tells him to go and speak to these people called the Ninevites, right? And they're even pretty much worse than these guys. They were the most sexually immoral group of the time, pretty much. We won't even go into detail what they had going on. We messed up stuff. And, and, and God's like, Jonah, you're going to go to these guys, and you're going to go tell them. And if you notice, throughout the Bible, a lot of times the Israelites are fighting the Ninevites. So as a Jew, you don't just want to roll into Nineveh and be like, hey, what's up? Um, my God told you to stop doing everything that you're doing. And so, so he's like, okay, God, and he runs away, and you get the whole thing. Veggie Tales, right? Anybody ever seen that one? Jumps out of the boat. Well, he doesn't jump out of the boat. The big storm comes, and, and, and the waves are crashing in the boat, and it's all going crazy. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And Jonah's like, oh, it's my fault. And they're like, ah, and they throw him overboard. And he's like, and he's probably thinking as he's going down, like, ah, oh, I'll show you, God. Uh, I'm not going to have to go speak to these people. And then the big fish eats him, comes up. And then one of my youth group's favorite verses is, then Jonah was vomited onto the shore. But start writing that in your birthday cards at the bottom. You know, people sign, <laughs> sign little things on the bottom. Uh, those are the kind of verses I sign. And then I always go to people later and go, did you read the verse I gave you? And they go, mm, brother, thank you. I really needed that. I'm like, you liar. Just do it sometimes. It's really funny. But, and then if they do read it, it's still funny. It's win-win. But so anyways, so, so Jonah gets vomited on the thing. He's like, fine, I'll go. And he goes and he tells them and they actually listen. And, and here's the crazy thing. Jonah's like, he's pissed about this. And he goes and he, he sits outside the city and, and, he, and he says, like, God, I knew that you were going to be graceful. I knew that you were going to be merciful. I knew that you were going to love these people. That's like his complaint. And it says that God, and this is the funny part, and I'm just telling you the story because I love this story so much. It says that it gives him a vine that provides a shade over his head, right? He, and, and he's happy about it, and he falls asleep that night. And, he, and in the night, a worm comes and eats, and, eats, and eats the vine. And Jonah wakes up, and he's like, what the crap, God? Where's my vine? And God's like, do you have any right to be mad about this? And Jonah goes, yes, mad enough to die. <laughs> we, we, we laugh, but that's us. Isn't it? God will make us go where he wants us to go. We need to understand something. We're not that important. I mean, we are because we're sons and daughters of God. I'm not saying, like, self-worth is low. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in the scheme of things, God's a lot bigger than us. And his will and what he wants to accomplish, he's going to accomplish. The word says that he is building his church. Right? Let's not be people who resist it. Let's be people who go with it. Be people who say, what is Jesus doing? And I want to go with him in that. Not that, you, you see, there's a difference between saying, I want to do something for God versus saying, what is Jesus doing? And I'm going to go with him in it. Some of us need to look around and say, where does Jesus need me? Where is he calling me? I have no idea what time it is. Holy cow. Okay. What came of this? What came of this Philip going to the Samaritans and preaching? You got to know that when God calls you to something, and I, I, I get it that some of you are going, I have no idea what God's calling me to right now. Some of you may know exactly what God's calling you to right now. Some of you may be getting a picture of it, and I'm not here to tell you how to discern that tonight or anything. That's more discipleship. You need, you need close relationship with people to work through that with you. Discernment, things like that, right? Like me standing up here and teaching is really not going to accomplish. I mean, we, we can't accomplish that because God's word is powerful enough to do anything at once. But just being honest, those kinds of things, that's where it comes out in relationship. But, but here, when God calls you, to go, I want to encourage you to go, even if it makes no sense, even if the people make you sick, 
even if everybody around you is going to say that is stupid. Understand, I'm not talking about good Christian counsel, okay? What I'm talking about, I'm just talking about if you have a non-Christian friend who's like, you want to go serve the homeless in trash heaps in Nicaragua? Are you kidding me? You're going to spend all your money on that? Yeah, I am. When God calls you, you go because you don't have to wait for it to make sense because it probably won't ever. So when he calls, go, because we see here what happens in verse 7 and 8. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Philip showed up to the group that nobody wanted to go to, and he preached. He brought the gospel message of Jesus into an area. Demons were cast out. That, that's what that is, just so you know. And we believe in that, and that's very real, that demons do exist. And that in the power and authority of Jesus, we have the ability to cast them out, not by our own powers or anything like that, but we talked about that in the Holy Spirit chapters Earlier in Acts, you can go back and listen to those some more if you, if you need more insight into that. But you, you see that they walked in, and people who were tormented over things were, were, were cleaned of those things. People were healed of physical ailments. This is not a metaphor. People who couldn't walk were healed, people who were sick were healed. This is in your Bible, okay? It may creep us out, but it's real, and it's in there. If it's not, if that's not real, it, it, it kind of drives me nuts that we'll pray for sick, but we don't really expect anything to happen. That's stupid. Don't waste your time. If you're gonna pray for healing, pray for healing and know that it can happen because it happened in the Bible. And it's still happening today. So, so people were being healed. And, and here's my favorite part of this. There was much joy in the city. When we show up as the body of Christ, do people get excited? Is there rejoicing? Is there joy when Christians come into a community? Is there joy when we come in? That's a good test to know if you're doing something of God or not. If your ministry rolls into a place and people hate it, that's different than persecution. I'm just saying, if everybody's like, these guys are jerks, we don't like them, that's not a very successful ministry. What we're talking about here is coming in and people are seeing joy because they're seeing lives transformed. They're seeing the power of God go forth. And when the power of God moves, it brings joy because that is the heart of God to bring joy into his people so that they can do what? Not so that we can just be happy and have everything that we want, so that we can exalt him even more so that we can bring him praise and honor that he's worth. So that when, 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 when we get joy, we know who that comes from, and he gets the honor, not the person who, he, who necessarily brought that, the physical person there. He gets the honor. He gets the glory. I really do pray that we bring joy into this community. When, we, when I started here, Tom and I, we always joked about this, and we kind of joked about it, but we, we, we mean it too. I, 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 I walk around town a lot, and I'll talk to people, and I invite a lot of people to church and just different things. And uh, I go, oh, you guys are the place who took over the movie theater. I pray so much that, like, oh, you guys are Bethany? I, I heard about you. 
I heard about what you guys are doing. I don't get it. And as a matter of fact, my experience with just all this stuff in general, I don't really even like, but I heard that this is where the broken go for help. I heard that there's people who come out of this place with just a desire to love this community in ways that it just can't even comprehend. I would so much rather have that be our title than the place that took over the movie theater. When the very first sermon Tom ever gave here at this church, it, we started off with a bang. It was very upfront. It, it convicted me deeply, and, I, and I'll, I'll share it with you because I don't think any of us in this room were actually here at that other than my wife, Ari. He said, if this church closed today, would anybody in this community know or care tomorrow? If we closed the doors, would anybody outside of who attends here on a regular Sunday basis know or care? I hope that's changed. I hope it will continue to change. All right, let's wrap this up. Sorry. What about Saul? What about this guy, Saul? Just, I, mean, I, I know for some of us this might be basic, but I, I don't assume anything. And, and for me, I didn't know this for a long time when I became a Christian because nobody told me. Saul is, an, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If, if, if you go with me, Acts chapter 26. Yeah, this guy named, it's, it's weird, there's this guy named Paul now who's talking. Paul used to be Saul. In the Bible, they do these crazy things where it's like you become a Christian, we're going to change up your name, man. Everything about you is new. Maybe then people wouldn't call me Matt Pat if I got a name change. It's like the, my parents thinking, Matt Patrick, good idea. This guy, Paul, he's talking about himself here when he was Saul. Let's read it. Uh, verse 10 through 11. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Saul, Paul, same guy right here. We see him in another place before he becomes Paul. See him at the cross, Jesus. And he wasn't there to help. Well, he was, just not with, on Jesus' side. Saul was the up-and-coming Pharisee. He was the religious elite. If we go back to our original text, and Saul approved of his execution... Who approved of Stephen to be killed? Saul. Gave the order. God's a pro at turning things up to upside down. Saul, one day he's going to go persecute a foreign city, as he says, and he's riding on his horse, and, and a bright light shines down on him and knocks him off of his horse. Isn't that just so great that that's how it's said? And Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the whole story plays out where he ends up going to this house, and he can see again, he's been blinded, and he can see again, and God sets this man on mission, and he changes the world. Most of your New Testament that you have was written by him. We start off with him killing a Christian to writing letters to Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, teaching them how to walk and live in the ways of God. The greatest example of God turning a situation upside down is the cross. 1 John 4.10. You don't have to go there. It's, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For this is love, not that we have loved God, but, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says this, it says, even though we don't love him, 
well enough. He loved us so that he is willing to come and die and all the punishment, all the wrath. Yes, God gets angry about sin. He doesn't like it. It is not okay with him. He, a matter of fact, hates sin is what it says in the Bible. The hate that he had against sin and Satan and death was poured out on Jesus, that's what the word propitiation means. It means it diverged. It, the, if, if you, it's like, you ever, you ever see like the, the cheesy like action movies where the guy's like getting ready to like get shot, it's all slow motion, like the random kid comes jumping out of nowhere and it's all sad because it's like, oh no, he's only 12. And he like takes a bullet for like the cop because like he bought him a dog. Or, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Like so he jumps in front of him and takes the bullet for him kind of thing. What Jesus did then is he stepped in Instead of God pouring out his wrath on us, which we deserved, he poured it out on his own son. He did it in such a way that it's just so brutal and insane. He was beaten to a pulp. And you know it's wild? We talk so much about the actual beating and the physical part of the crucifixion. But do you know what, do you know what most theologians believe was the heaviest part? was the fact that every single sin of mankind was laid on his shoulders at that moment. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. When everything that has been... Think about this. Don't even think about the sin that you have committed. Think about the sins that have been committed against you that you can't even control. There's many. Look around the room, just adding up how many women in here. I know statistically... Some of you guys have probably had a sin against you that is probably just horrific. In that moment, the pain that we go through when we are sinned against in the worst ways, he felt. In that moment, when he was on the cross and before he died, before he said, it is finished Everything you've ever done to hurt another human being or hurt or lie or steal or destroy or kill or lust or I can keep going, right? Was laid on him. It's ugly. It's so messed up. But then we have what God does best, right? What he does better than anything we could ever imagine. Jesus comes back to life. Three days later, he conquers it because he had no sin and it could not hold him down because he is God. And Jesus says, just so you know this, Jesus wasn't necessarily killed. Jesus specifically says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. It's the most beautiful thing that we've ever seen. But most of us, do you know if we actually saw it happen, we probably wouldn't be able to control ourselves from vomiting. And that's the centerpiece of our faith. That's crazy. But it's beautiful. That's why we love it. It's because it mirrors our lives, doesn't it? Just a train wreck, so much garbage, so much crap, so much junk, all this stuff in the way. But yet, all of a sudden, we are, we are forgiven, we are made free, and we, and we get to change, and we get to be made more into his likeness every single day. That's why you love it. That's why people are drawn to it. Because it's real. It's not a theory. You need to know this. Isaiah chapter 54. I'll be done. Two more verses real quick and then we're done. I promise. No more rants. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment 
This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Do you know that nothing that can be fashioned against you can kill you? For real. Yeah, it can kill you. Nothing man can come up with. Nothing that somebody can do to you cannot kill your real life, which is found in Jesus. And whatever that may look like, I understand this first time I give you. I'm going to give you Romans 8, 28. I've heard this misused so many times. I just want to throw a warning out with Romans 8, 28. If somebody's hurting really bad at a time, don't always start here. Just listen first, okay? Because I'm going to use it right now in the context that you would probably use it for. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, it says that God's working all things together for your good. That is his heart. As jacked up as the situation may be, he's working it together for good. But do you see what I mean? It's not always the best place to start just because sometimes that's just not going to help in that moment. Oh, Sorry, your mom died. Don't worry, it's all for good. That's not going to fly in that moment, okay? But you need to know this truth that in that, God is going to work something amazing out, and that's why you're able to stand there in confidence and be a friend, be a brother, be a sister, be whatever that that person needs, is that you know that God is working it together for good. So the whole point of this whole thing tonight was this. God's math doesn't make sense, and that's why I love him, because I hate math. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. He, he, he's, he's the king of turning things upside down, flipping them upside down. He's the king of taking guys like Saul and making them one of the most recognizable men of all time for the kingdom. He's able to do amazing things. He's able to send people into places where nobody wants to go and then the city has joy because of it. But let us not be a people that persecution forces us in there. Let, let us be a people whose heart is willing and wants to go. Okay? Cool. Let me pray.